You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Movie Reviews Podcast, the podcast reviews of 1,001 movies you should watch before you die. I'm Tim, and my podcasting partners are... Maddie Boombatty. Joey here. And here we are on our second episode with another action film. Joe, would you like to tell our audience what's in the can tonight? The Uncrustables. Unmistakables. Unmentionables. Unbearables. Okay, it's The Untouchables. That's what the Catholic priests used to call the kids with cold sores. Seems like they were trying to warn each other about something. Well, gentlemen, before we dive into the story, when was the first time you saw The Untouchables? Joey, can you try to give us the history with the movie? Your history with the movie. Uh, yeah, uh, so I was eight years old when this came out. I probably saw it on VHS, and uh, I I believe, I, like a lot of people, the first time they're watching, it, probably viewed it like it was a historical document. Having said that, uh, 75% of this movie is total bullshit. None of it happened. The real people in the movie are Elliot Ness, Al Capone, of course, and then uh, one of his thugs, they put him in white throughout the movie. Other than that, we are in fiction land in the, in the mind of uh, uh, Brian De Palma and uh, the writer whose name I can't think of right now. What about you, Tim? What was your first experience to this movie? This is actually my first experience with this movie. Wow. Or I have watched it and blanked it out of my memory. I don't know which one it is, but I feel like, uh, yeah, this was the first time I have ever seen this movie. I mean, I, I've heard the quote all my life, the, the famous quote from Sean Connery, but uh, yeah, I, I watched I'm like, I don't remember anything about this. So so, so you, it's almost like you're a virgin with this movie, and you were untouchable before this. This is true. Yes, <laughs> yes. And now I'm touched for the very first time. Oh, God. Let's let's go ahead and start the counter as to how many times the word touch or untouchable or where did the person touch you shows up. Oh, no. <laughs> Sir, oh, if we're going to do this in the future, you need to let me know because it's going to be a drinking game. Because <laughs> it can only get better from there. Do not drink anything. We are not responsible for your lives. You will die. Uh, no, not anybody else. But I guess if you know, if you want to play at home, play at your own risk. If you'd like to drink water at home, that is safe. There you go. There you go. Uh, David Mamet was the guy who wrote it, whose name I couldn't think of. Uh, oh, yes, Mamet. Yes. So he, he took a lot of creative liberties with this, but if you watch the credits, it does say that it was based on tele the Untouchables television series, which, hey, when we're thinking about it, it's like, well, how close was that to reality? Uh, there was a lot of big set pieces in this. There was a lot of cool things that happened, and th but they didn't happen. They, oh, right, but the they big set really piece happen. is basically Chicago. They just use Chicago. That's your set piece. I mean, it, <laughs> the way it looked then is the way it looks now, they did including all the crimes. It's just, it's, you know, same crime still, too. Yeah, Chicago and the Prohibition. That was the big set pieces. And just to give you guys an idea, so first time I watched this movie, it was in the 1980s, the late 1980s, uh, 88 or 89, so I think I was like 10 or 11. And I remember my parents renting, renting this movie from the local video store on VHS. Now, for you younger listeners, VHS is this, this like magnetic tape that you would put into this device called a VCR, and it would play movies back to you. What I remember best about this movie, though, is, of course, the Sean Connery characters from Malone. I remember that this was actually the movie that really got me into, into enjoying Sean Connery, and then I realized his whole backlog of movies. On another side note is this is the only movie that Sean Connery has ever won an Academy Award for. Well, I'm going to say it probably wasn't very hard considering the cast that he was working with. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm going to say this. I mean, I know people love this movie, and, and, I, and I know it's a classic, but I, I don't know if it's because I've seen so many gangster movies or mafia movies, you know, from when this was made till now, but... He was the only interesting character in the whole movie for me. I mean, literally, and I and I think he came in. He's like, "Oh my God, this is my this is this is my competition. I barely got to try. I just phone it in, and he did. Like he just like he didn't even try to like get rid of the Scottish accent. It was just like he, he just all he had to do was show up, and he was magic because he was Sean Connery. And especially <laughs> when you're standing next to you know cardboard Kevin Costner, 
who was the most cardboard I've ever seen him in any of his films, <laughs> hands down. Again, I'm going to go back to what we said in the last one. If you want to see a good Connor, or if you want to see a good Costner movie, go watch Waterworld. It was way better. <laughs> Even the Postman was better. And honestly, Tom Petty outperformed Kevin Costner in that one. So, but uh, yeah, on the accent of uh, of Connery's Two Face informant friend, that was Irish. Yes, <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> Scottish. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you're you're right. Connery kind of stole the movie, and who was he based upon? He's based upon no one. I think I think you know they. It's almost like they wrote the part for Sean Connery, but they, you probably think that about a lot of his movies. Uh, the movie opens up with uh, a, a tragic event with a, a little girl dying. I guess that is one of the few things this is based on. The timeline's way off. There was a Chicago uh, bombing of a, uh, a saloon old, old, owned by a uh, rival gangster of Capone's, and uh, several people died, including an innocent child. I don't know if it was a little girl who... I, what was she getting? Like, what was in that pot? Was he giving her, like, clean water to go... No, I think that her? was... I think that was beer. So I think she was, like... So back back in the 30s, you know, you could send your kid to the local drugstore to pick up things like, you know, beer, cigarettes. It um, came out of the tap. I saw that. But I, I thought yeah. maybe he was giving her water for cooking. No, no. I'm I'm pretty sure it was beer. I think that she was, was their... going to get her parents drunk. The whole deal was, though, is that you know, that other guy was in there like, look, you need to carry our beer. And he's like, no, it's swill, man. I ain't carrying your crap. And, you know, he's yeah. pouring out beer for that little girl. And she's like, thank you. I'm sure, you know, they had a tab or something. I agree with Matt. It's beer. All right. We will we'll never know because she went poof. Uh, I mean, do we want to dive into the synopsis? And if you guys are ready to do that. Yeah, we could talk about all the major beats of the movie. Uh, I'd like to talk about one that actually happened that's not in the movie. After we talk about all the other big things that happen in this. <laughs> gotcha. Go, go on. The year is 1930. During Prohibition, the notorious gangster kingpin Al Capone supplies illegal liquor, nearly controls all of Chicago. The Bureau of Prohibition, a part of the Treasury Department, sends an agent, Elliot Ness, to halt Capone's activity. Ness's first attempt at a liquor raid fails due to corrupt policemen alerting Capone. He then encounters me, a veteran Irish-American officer, James Malone, although I don't sound Irish. After Ness visits my home, he convinces me to join in his efforts to make me an agent. I and two other men help Ness with a few raids as we try to get dirt onto the filthy Al Capone. That is a racial slur. Hey, now. We do, he says, we do not endorse his racial slurs here at... I don't think he ever says uh, W-O-P uh, Actually, or W-A-P, for that matter, in, in the movie. I think he just said Dago. I thought he said when he was talking he to uh, Garcia. Someone count the walks and get back to us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as Alex, as Alex Trebek would say in Celebrity Jeopardy on Saturday Night Live, please stop with the uh, racial slurs. Our good man Oscar Wallace discovered that Al Capone hasn't filed an income tax return for the last four years. So Ness and his boys attempt to find a link to Capone to his millions. We luck out when we stop a shipment of Irish whiskey. I'm sorry. I'm not Irish. I'm Scottish. It was Scottish. Scottish whiskey from Canada. It was not Scottish. It's Canada. <laughs> We luck out when we stop a shipment of Canadian whiskey from coming to the States from Canada, because that's where you get Canadian ice whiskey. We managed to arrest a bag of man from, of Capone's and use some creative methods to get his, to get, to get this pig to squeal. Now it's just a matter of time before we get all the pieces to take down Capone the Chicago way. Yeah, that, that is definitely the, the meme worthy, uh, line of the movie uh, when, he he tells him it's like you know he he puts one of your guys in the hospital you put one of his guys in the morgue you know <laughs> until no, you down to the last man that no, the only not. one it's the quickening <laughs> that's the Chicago way no that's not how it goes they you put a knife you put a gun if he sends one of yours to the hospital you send one of his to the morgue and then you steal his quickening <laughs> you have to cut off his head that's the Chicago way. Oh, wow. I found a cure for cancer, and I lost it. Well, do you expect me to squeal? I'll make you squeal like a pig, Trebek. <laughs> Your mother did last night. <laughs> you sound just like your mother. 
Whereas friendships are going to be more, more interesting than the movie itself. <laughs> I think we pretty much got the plot of the film down. Um, they're trying to bust Capone. And they bring it up, like, so early. It's like we all, like, if you know anything about history, they get them on the tax evasion because they can't get anything else because people are afraid to testify him against, against them. But, you know, money doesn't lie. He has assets. You know, you prove that he, he obviously has income and he's not paying taxes. But it's like, it's almost like everything else in the movie was like, like they kind of introduced that a little too early because I was just like, I was like, all right, arrest him. Okay, arrest him. Yeah. You've got the accountant there. Oh, no, we gotta, we gotta go up and have this fictional Canadian border thing and the accountant gets to shoot somebody and then later you'll get to arrest him. So, well, that's um, the whole problem with the movie though is that it, it lacks, it lacks depth of storytelling to me. I mean, it just, that they're, they're kind of all over the board a little bit. I mean, not a lot, but I mean, they're trying to follow a timeline, but you still. No, they were not trying to follow a fucking timeline. They were, they they were making it. Well, their timeline. Yeah, I know they were making it up, but their timeline to get from point A to point B. But I mean, like, they completely did De Niro for the whole film. I mean, he really has very little in there. You don't get to see a lot of Capone, like, other than him talking about how, like, he's this good guy and a businessman and blah, blah, blah. You get one scene where you really get to see Gangster Capone, and that's when he's in, in the banquet hall. And oh, yeah. then other than that, the only thing you, you get out of that is looking at him going, I think De Niro must have put on, like, you know, 30 or 50 pounds for this role because he looks like a fat Capone. Good for him. I, I hope he got a good paycheck so he can, you know, afford the gym to work all that off. But, I mean, it was it was a waste. And, and Kevin Costner just spends all the time going, we got to do this. Fun. Well, I know. And then you got Costner's like, we got to do this within the you know, boundaries of the law. And then you got Connery just like, oh, I've got to do this. Grow up in this. This movie's going to be cool because uh, I'm the <laughs> best actor here. And and then, like, you just you don't care about any of the characters. You don't really care about what's going on because you're right. It's boring. It's boring throughout the whole thing because it's just like, oh, we can get him a tax evasion. We can get him a tax evasion. That's what that little guy just runs around saying the whole time. That, that it, would have been boring. You know, so I, I do see yeah. how, like, you're going to have to invent some things. The bridge was a really cool sequence. It just which didn't happen. happen. Yeah, which didn't um, happen. But there's so many cool things you could have done with Capone. Like, it was a waste of a Capone real, movie. Yeah, the Vail you know I mean? Massacre was like, maybe they thought that was too... It, it, it would take people out of the timeline if they kind of like rearranged events with the Valentine's Day Massacre and stuff. But that was like, that's something that's been seen in other movies. Um, and maybe that's why they also didn't include it. And that's something that, that really happened. Uh, right. Where, you know, they lined up a bunch of guys and they executed them in an alley. With Tommy guns, it, I mean, they 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 felt like they had to come up with something. I mean, we get we got the uh, the the stair sequence. It was uh, at uh, Union Station, which was basically lifted on purpose. Like De Palma's not saying anything. He's like, you know, on the he's not denying that he stole it. Is he's saying, hey, Eisenstein's battleship Potemkin. I, you know, this is a love letter that. And the uh, the Odessa step sequence is what happens in that original silent film. And the Union Station stuff is, is amazing. But I found out they were originally going to have, like, this train car chase and have trains collide. And they had to tell De Palma, no, you can't do that because we, if we find the trains from that era, you, you're not allowed to crash them. Really going literally off the rails with this story. And then he had to rein it in. Well, here's my theory. I'm sorry, Matt, but let me let me put this in since you said that. But here's my theory. I, I think he was trying to overcompensate for his last bad, like, gangster movie. Because, let's face it, what did he make just before this? It what was, what was it? it was Wise Guys with Danny DeVito and Joe Piscopo, which was also a, a gangster movie. It, yeah, yeah, go look it up. That was his movie. I, he made it just before he made this one. I'm positive of it. And I think that he was making up for it. He's like, oh, my God, I got to try to make up for that tragedy, you know. So I think that's what he did. And uh, so he's like, I'm going to make a good gangster movie. I'm going to have, you know, primo stars in it. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to have all kinds of, not, it wasn't really artsy-fartsy, but it's going to, you know, feel the times of it, you know. And, I mean, visually, it did hit 1920s Chicago. He got that in there, but. It was Tim is not wrong. Tim is not wrong. That it's wise guys. Now he did some music videos, including Bob Singer and the Silver yeah. Bullet Band. Yeah, his last movie before this was Wise Guys. And, and I think if you make that turd, you feel the <laughs> you feel like you may need to actually prove that you can make a real gangster movie. And he overachieved this time. Like he just he went too far the other way. You know, he just moved the needle from like crap fest 
to like overachiever crap fest. He's definitely all over the place. He also did Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark. Hey, nothing wrong with that. But he also did Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Relax. <laughs> now I want to watch that. But yeah, like to do that and then do Wise Guys and then, hey, we're going to do The Untouchables. He probably grew up with the TV series. Uh, so, uh, I imagine, you know, that, that was probably an inspiration to say, hey, I want to do a real epic version of this. And, and it's not the first time somebody's done a movie about Capone. Uh, if you go back to the original Scarface, it's about him, but it's not about him, uh, cause that was a, like, there were people involved with Capone that were still alive when that movie came out. Yeah, so that movie like 1940s or something. I have to look that up, but it's it's black and white. Uh, and uh, Howard Hughes, uh, the eccentric Howard Hughes, uh, directed that one. Was it Howard Hughes or Howard Hawks? I believe that one was Hughes. Let me double check here. Well, while Joey's looking that up, um, one thing I do have to I do have to say what I liked about Kevin Costner's portrayal of Ness, since you guys are kind of like poo pooing it. Um, I didn't poo poo it. <laughs> all right, Tim, so, it was me. All right, so, Kevin yeah. Costner. Yeah, well, he took a Cleveland steamer. On <laughs> hey, don't get me wrong. Chest. I like Kevin Costner, but he's another one of those guys. Like you don't pick him going, "Oh my gosh, this guy's going to blow this this out of the water." You you put him in a movie because he's a he's a one dimensional character. Like you you're like, "Oh well, he'll fit in this good." I mean, he has he has no range. That dude plays the same character, or at least the per- same personality, much like Nick Cage does or you know like there's several guys like that out there who just they don't there's no they have no range they're just when you put them in you're going to get what you expect out of them that that's that that's it so gotcha. i think of Owen Wilson Foster as a character actor he happens to be a dramatic character actor but he does have a limited range i mean yeah, i'm expecting will ferrell to go into a movie and be wacky and he does it and he does it well and then Right. Kevin Costner kind of stays in his lane with, you know, you, you know what he does. Like he, he's not going to he's not going to be the star of Philadelphia, you know, like no. Tom Hanks. No, he's no Tom Hanks. That's right. No. But he does well in some movies. Like I said, I, there's movies of his that I do. Like, I like Dances with Whoops. Thought he was good in that one. I liked Open Range. One of my favorite Westerns of all time. Like, and I but think he similar. plays a great character. But it's the same character. Again. It's just that same monotone oh, guy right. playing I just whatever thought of he something. plays it, so. You know, Kevin Costner. He's a one trick poner. One trick pony is what he is. Kevin Costner in I Am Sam. Wait, I did not see that one. Uh, is that the movie with Sean Penn? Yes, that's the one that, uh, uh, they, they criticize in the, uh, Tropic Thunder saying okay. never go full retard. Yeah. So, uh, it never, that's the one in, uh, Tropic Thunder where they said never go full R word. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying. It's like you can't see, you know, you see, you can see Sean Penn playing like the weirdest character in, uh, um, you know, that other Al Pacino movie. Uh, God damn it, I can't think of anything. <laughs> you can see Sean Penn doing anything, including I Am Sam, and doing it so well he doesn't get uh, an award. You can't see Kevin Costner going in and playing somebody developmentally disabled. True. You, yeah. you just see him playing these same, uh, usually authoritative, authoritative, uh, or or silent like you know criminal types. Like he he plays like. You know, kind of a serious bad guy or good guy in a movie. He doesn't play. He he couldn't play Al Capone either. You, right. I mean, that guy's a character. Um, well, in my notes, watching the movie, so Elliot Ness felt more like, and I, and I think this this kind of hits it. He he's more like a Ward Cleaver from Leave It to Beaver. He's a Boy Scout. Yeah. And he you worked. Know. He worked for that. Like I mean, you know, he I accepted him as that. Yeah, and it's it's funny comparing it to like the the classic Untouchables TV show where, uh, gosh, I can't think of the guy's name now, Robert Stack. Uh, he played more of like a hard boiled detective. So it's just interesting how the different the different way that they portrayed Elliot Ness in this movie that I think Kevin Costner really really did a good job portraying him that way, kind of like a a young family man who's you know trying to go by the book. Your atypical government guy. I mean, that's kind of Kevin Costner role to a T. Um, it was a little hard, you know, seeing him in this role towards the end of the movie when he has the big chase sequence after the after the step sequence and the and he's like running around going after the hitman all in white. And I can't think of that guy's name. I think it's like Nettie or something. Yeah, Nettie. 
Yeah. But he doesn't even show any emotion then. He's just, he, he might as well be the Terminator just going, I'm going to go get him. And he's just chasing him around like, I'm going to get you. And then they keep shooting each other. And it's, it's, uh, yeah. And then you got a, a bad guy. You got the same thing. You got, you got the the assassin guy who, uh, you know, the Nettie guy who asks like just about it. Yeah, Nitty, Nitty. I'm like sorry, thank Nitty. Gritty. Yeah, and, and they're and they're both like as interesting as again watching grass grow or looking at cardboard. Like no personality. Either one of those guys is like two drones fighting each other. It was just <laughs> boring. Well, I thought Billy Drago did a, an amazing performance, but he really just had to show up and look the way he does because he has a certain set of eyes. People, yeah. he's actually yeah. really a nice guy, but he played villains in throughout his career. Well, and, you know what his uh, famous, his most famous villain, I think, uh, who, Briscoe County Jr. Correct, he was in that show. Yes, he played. Oh yeah, guy. yeah, I do remember that now. Yeah, I can't remember it, the his character's name, but I remember, I distinctly remember him from that movie. I'm like, oh, that's the guy from Briscoe. Yeah, and Frank Nitty did exist, uh, and he worked for Capone. He did not wear a white suit uh, all the time. Uh, De Palma had him do that, so he stuck out in the background of shots, and you, and the, you know, the audience would see him. Uh, Frank Nitty did not get thrown off of a courthouse. Uh, he died uh, 12 years after the trial. He killed himself, I guess. He, he waxed himself. Yeah, yeah he, he yeah. didn't have anybody to, you know, to work for anymore. Who knows what he did that for? But, yeah, lot, <laughs> the whole courtroom. <laughs> there, there was no other gangsters left to, to kill for. I just going to have to take yeah. my own life. He was sad. Yeah. There, were, there were no more Malones to murder. But uh, right. Malone didn't even exist either. Um, made up for the show. Uh, kind of like... Uh, you know, there's all kinds of characters that get made up. Sometimes people are amalgamation well, that's, of, that's of different it. people, but the whole the whole show is made up. Yeah. fictional. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, Ness, Nitty, Capone. Those are the guys that that were real. Right. Oh that's no, well, there is there is another real person in there. The he's prosecutor. Only, he's his he's, wife. His name checked, and that is hold on. I got it written in my notes here. Uh, William H. Thompson, the mayor. Because apparently, back in, the, okay. yeah, back in the 1930s, and I'm pretty sure this is made up, I, I, I need to fact check this, but Nitty has that card that's a signed card. I mean, just nothing special to it, just a little oh, right. card that says that he can, he he can carry, carry a, gun. a gun, and it's signed by William H. Thompson, mayor of the city of Chicago. And I'm like, so any Tom, Dick, and Harry could write, you know, that thing and, like, forge? Oh, I'm William H. Thompson. Yeah, he handed him back the same gun he ends up shooting him with. Right. How to wipe my ass with that card. And (laughs) since we're talking about Illinois politics, I've got to ask you. Did you guys notice that one of Al Capone's henchmen in there, which was just one of his bodyguards, has a striking resemblance to the now governor of the state of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker. Like, I, I think You're it was saying Clem. someone was morbidly obese in the background. No, like, the guy's name was Clem Caster, or, or, uh, Caserta. Clem Caserta. And I had to look him up because you can't even find him in, in any of the IMDBs or anything like that. And if you look at him, like, oh, my God, he looks just like the current Illinois governor. And I'm, like, thinking, I wonder if a little J.B.'s, like, seeing this movie, he's like, this guy's got it in lock. I'm, but I'm not going to be the gangster. I'm going to be the governor. That way I can be the legal gangster of Illinois. <laughs> and I'm going to eat until I have a medical problem. Yeah. They, he, I mean, that he was, looks like, I don't looks like just in the face part. and everything. Yeah. Like he's behind him. It, it, he's at the table with him in, in the uh, banquet scene, and you see him so, like behind him several times throughout the show. And I'm just, oh my gosh, that, that's that's the Illinois governor, right? <laughs> it was driving me nuts. And my wife watched it with me, and I said, "Are you seeing it?" She's like, "Yeah, he looks just like the governor." <laughs> yeah, JB always is wearing a suit, and I've seen him in person. And I gotta say, oh man, those suit those suits are sharp, and they have got to cost ungodly amounts of money because it's just custom. I mean, there's so much fabric. It's a fabric of three fucking suits. And, and they got to they gotta make it, you know, fit this giant baby proportions. And I mean, it looks like an overweight baby on stage. And he's wearing this fine suit. And uh, that's probably, you know, hey, maybe maybe it's, for, it's really the suit, Tim. Maybe you saw that fat man suit you. and you're like, Prickster. That guy's <laughs> a sharp suit. Neither one of you guys Men's picked up. I mean, seriously, you didn't no, pick up on this? Like, custom. literally, 
Go back and look at it. I'm telling you, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I see it now. Everybody else watches this podcast and be like, oh my God, he's right. I, I can see it. So, so if you don't live in the state of Illinois, look up what the state of Illinois governor looks like before you watch the show and then be looking for him in the film. Like, make it a drinking game again, water, whatever you want, you know, but, uh, you know, it's just a little fun game for everybody at home there. <laughs> the fattest and sharpest dressed guy in the room. See if you can spot the governor. <laughs> nice, nice. And when you talk about other characters, though, that were, you know, actually in the book that were in the film, the only other one is, is Ness's wife, who is actually just says Ness's wife. I don't think we ever even hear her name in the movie. But I have to ask you, too, like, since we're talking about a movie that was haphazardly put together, did you find the whole scene where he goes to meet up with his wife to have his child? completely out of left field it was like yeah like when did she get pregnant like where did that, this that come from that's that's one of my notes is like there was just there seems to be like this very weird cut where all of a sudden she's in a hospital i'm like nowhere else in the movie have you seen or mentioned anything about her being pregnant the movie needed a montage to for the show the passage of time we needed to see like them busted some more you know uh beer rings and you know the wife you know you know, you know, showing her belly to her husband in the mirror and stuff, and some newspaper articles, you know, flying by. No, it's just all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're having another kid, honey. Yeah, because the last scene you've seen her in before that one is him putting her into the car and sending her away. Right. When he thinks that they're threatening his family, it's like, she didn't look pregnant there, and now she's popping a kid out. I was like, huh. It's not what? Elliot Ness's son. <laughs> Al, Al Capone got to her. There is there is one my one boy, line I noticed Ness. though when he goes running into the house after he gets threatened by uh Nitty Nettie he does use say the word baby but I'm I thought he was referring to their daughter because he immediately runs upstairs to find his daughter and it, yeah and and that's another thing I thought was kind of funny is okay so you you barge into your daughter your 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 like four year old daughter's room you have your gun drawn. And then you like run up to her and give her a big old hug with your gun still in your hand and finger on the trigger. Yeah, I've like, seen that too. I'm like, dude, what are you? You're 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 holding your daughter finger on the trigger. What the hell's wrong with you? Eskimos and butterflies <laughs> <laughs> and bullets with butterfly wings. Hey, you brought it back to uh, Illinois. You know, smashing pumpkins. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Full circle. Um. All right, so other than Connery's crazy, not Connery, uh, Costner's crazy craziness, so there is a couple things that I, I thought was rather clever with the movie. Um, one in particular is, okay, so there's this whole scene that after after Connery meets Ness, um, Ness decides to go back and recruit Connery for his um, for his group. And I thought it was, it was very, um, very neat how the story kind of unravels where Here's this young guy who comes to the old, you know, wizened warrior to ask him for help. Like a lot of other tropes throughout any kind of like um, Western movie or or kung fu movie, you know, it's it's the it's the young warrior coming to get the the experience from the older warrior. And I thought that was also a nice little parallel with the fact that here's Sean here's Sean Connery who's like in his twilight years almost, who's been acting for like three decades before this. And here's young uh, Kevin Costner. Oh, gee, golly shucks, man. I'm an actor, and I think I know what I'm doing. I thought it was a nice little parallel between those two uh, ideas. I can tell you what Sean Connery didn't like. Uh, it turns out he's never had squibs tied to him before, and they popped off, and he got some dust in his eye, and they took his angry uh, Scottish ass to the hospital. And then they had to tell him, Sean, uh, we're going to need you to do that again. <laughs> and he did it. <laughs> and it was amazing. I mean, he, I mean, do you watch that? He got lit up with squibs. Yes. So to, to, to think that he got something in his eye is like, well, it'd be weird if he didn't. Well, yeah, because they filmed that whole scene of him getting, like, you know, uh, shot like it was a horror film. I mean... There was an unprecedented amount of ridiculous amount of blood in this film. I mean, and I, I mean, even for an '80s film that was all kinds of action, it was just. It, it, and, and again, I Good think Lord. it's because De Palma, you know, he had already done horror films like Carrie and The Fury, lot, and I think a lot of blood in Fury. I think yeah, it's like yeah. when he shot the guy in the head, it's all over the back of the, you know, it's like let's splatter some stuff in here. And I'm sorry, but if you get shot that many times, 
and you're dragging yourself through a house and you're bleeding out like that, there's no way you're making it to somebody to find you so you can give them the last bit of information you need to. Like, you are dead. He was like, it was just coming out of him like a fountain. It was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> and and was to add to that. something funny to happen there because it's like, oh, I don't want my little trinket. I'm trying to tell you where the fucking fountain is. <laughs> well, it, and not a fucking piece of paper. No, get this fucking, what the fuck <laughs> is this? I don't, I don't want, want the key. Get that damn key out of my face. Yeah, that's good. I don't need no sink, whatever the fuck this is. I need the piece of paper, you stupid fuck. What the hell's wrong with you? Can't you see all this blood? I need something to write on. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to give you the answer. I've been I've been doing every, all the work for you, Ness. It's like you would be nothing without me, and I'm, I'm bleeding to death, and you're handing me the stupid charm. I'd write it on a wall, but that'd be too much like a normal horror film, and I can't do that here. And they did write something on the wall. Uh, the bad guys wrote Touchable, and that is, in fact, where De Palma toned things <laughs> down. They actually painted, the actor said they painted him with blood when they were hanging him up to be found. And <laughs> that that, was... that's too much. We can't show the accountant get shot. We, we, and we, we're going to have some blood here, but we don't want to see too much on the accountant. They actually, he had an eye wound where like it looked like he was shot through the eye, but I only saw that in behind the scenes, like pictures. He, you didn't really see that in the movie. He toned that down because he said the audience doesn't want to see the plucky little guy. All gored up. Well, yeah, yeah, but instead, they, instead they they hang him on a hook like a piece of meat in a in a meat packing plant instead. Oh, that was so much better. And not to mention the the blood so or there's so much blood in that elevator. I, I think they like went to the shining people like, oh, you got some extra blood from your elevator. We'll use it in ours. It was just like, it was crazy. Yeah, you're like no shit. Like he was saying, there's not that much blood in the human body. I need you to take some of it off the actor. It's all over the walls already. <laughs> yeah, let's just roll him around the walls before we put him on the hook. Oh, yeah, I want to see the deleted scene where Nitty's just, you know, he's carefully, like, painting <laughs> untouchable on the wall. Or, excuse me, touchable. The opposite of when you have a goal set. <laughs> you know, and honestly, the, the the true hero of the movie is the accountant. It all comes down to money, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they, they in history, they, they really just made a little bit of a statement. They said, you can't run from the law. Uh, but really, Capone didn't even serve his entire 11 years. He was oh, let no. out for... You were robotic on us there, Joey. I didn't hear that. So they were really trying to make a statement of putting Capone away for something, uh, saying you can't, you know, you can't break the law and get away with it. Uh, he, he did not do his entire 11 years. Uh, he got out a few years early because of, uh, quote unquote, good behavior. But in, in reality, he was let go from the prison because he he didn't he couldn't take like normal commands he wasn't trying to be compatible yeah. with the guard he, he didn't he understand what was happening that's I correct. think it's syphilis yeah the real hero is booty cooties <laughs> that's, that's what how we take him down send him to dirty women <laughs> that is what killed uh, Al Capone he actually contracted the booty cooties uh, when he got his first job in Chicago as a bouncer at a brothel and the way that um, Syphilis works is that uh, you have initial symptoms like shankers on your hoo-ha or your dingling, and then about 10 years later, you know, after you're seemingly in good health, the real symptoms start to come through, and that includes literally, you know, booty cooties eating your brain and your liver and your heart. And well, they knew he, he they knew he had it. Because they tried to give him penicillin for it, and he was it a big was too needle late. baby. He was a big needle baby. He didn't want to take the needle. I was I was learning that the they they had treatments for syphilis that people were kind of like leery of going to the hospital, et cetera, because it's embarrassing. But also because they weren't that they weren't guaranteed to work until penicillin came a little bit along a little bit later. He was too far gone in his syphilis that that would have made that big of a difference. He might have just lived a little bit longer. I'm sure he did get some treatment. His syphilis was a secret until probably he went to prison. Wow. The other thing I I, I got to bring up about this too, I mean, because we've already talked about you know the blood at nauseum here, is is the stupid first person filming that they did too. Like again, I think he's like, let me pull something out of my little whore trick of bags here, you know, and not like the whore that got Al Capone, but his horror movie bag of tricks. <laughs> and it was that whole like first person perspective of the assassin breaking into the house. It was like, it was, 
it was like that bad hardcore Henry movie that they put out where it was first person. I was just like, this well, is so stupid and shaky well, and pointless. I the thought his is, camera is um, is something that De Palma does in other movies. His cinematographer actually has gone on the record to say, well, he he always does two things. One, he's he's gonna do gonna have the first person stalking camera at some point where uh, there's something coming after a character you care about and it's from their perspective, and then he does another one where he called it the holdout where someone's trying to do something that's really important, but there's these things getting in their way. And that for that, it was the Union Station, um, the stair sequence with the the, um, the baby carriage. Right. So it's De Palma, like, he, I know I'm not calling the man a one-trick pony. He's, he's, he's fucking brilliant. Uh, but he has tropes that he likes to repeat and maybe do better and one-up himself. And in this case, it did take me out of it a little bit that, Sean Connery's being stalked by Michael Myers, but it had a different payoff in that <laughs> it turned into a joke because Sean Sean knew, figured it figured it out. You see him see him through the window when he's pouring himself a fucking drink. Which yeah, he goes on down. Benny Hill. It's like a bad Benny Hill skit where he's like running from room to room or something, like he's being chased. Dun, 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 you know, he's like, <laughs> "Where's Sean now?" And they set it up really early too, because you got to see in the phonograph that he kept a sawed-off shotgun when Ness came over to his house the first time. So. Yeah, the, well, the audience probably didn't think that's where Sean Connery was going to die. And then you have the funny, you know, he chased the guy off moment. And then that he really destroys the audience in that you, you get to see him get mowed down with a Tommy gun from a guy he didn't see. Right. Well, so my two comments about that, that whole sequence is, yes, that was a John Carpenter riff. I mean, watching that whole sequence reminded me of, watch, like you said, Michael Myers. I, I, was, I was immediately thinking of Halloween. I'm like, I, got, I had a feeling that the Palma just says, hey, John Carpenter did it. I can do it better. Um, and then the second thing is uh, the sawed-off shotgun. That is the definitive Chekhov's gun. For those who aren't familiar with Chekhov's gun, is if you see it in the first act, you've got to use it in, at least by the third act. The other, the other thing that I noticed that was a Chekhov's gun was actually with the one character we haven't mentioned yet, and that's Andy Garcia's character. You know, he starts off, and the first time we see him is he's at the uh, police training camp, and he's at the firing range, and he's, like, popping popping off. He's got a great marksman shot, and it's not until towards the end of the movie that we see how great of a shot he is by taking out that one guy that was holding the accountant. I thought uh, that was the uh, Andy Garcia checkoff. Well, he almost popped the uh, photographer in the restaurant with the same... The same gun, but they go, wait, oh, no, he's with me. But, uh, yeah, like it, it was to show that sequence where Kevin Costner puts his gun down. He's like, you got him. Yeah, I got him. Puts his gun down. No longer is holding the gun on the man with the accountant and just lets him take that shot, you know, holding a baby carriage up with his knee and with the other hand, you know, just. What happened to like I have the high ground? It's like <laughs> no, I guess I guess that doesn't mean anything in this movie. Well, I'm lay on I mean, the ground of the train station and shoot you in the head. I mean, they made some classic mistakes. I mean, you do have the high ground, like in the Sean Connery one where he chases a guy. Oh, you bring a knife to the gunfight. You know, don't have the conversation. Just shoot him. If he'd have just shot the guy out the door, he would have never gotten killed. And then he closed like, the door. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is what you get, Michael Myers. You a knife to me. I'm gonna. And blow your head off, you stupid and mental patient retard. <laughs> and Trebek your next. <laughs> I'm going gonna, gonna to kill you, you knife-wielding R-word. Well, I think we just earned our explicit tag on the podcast. Yeah. You got <laughs> a lot of editing take there. You got a lot of editing. And you know, I, I have you noticed, it's all Joey, not me. That's correct. There are, since we're on the whole Sean Connery thing again, so there are two lines that that I liked in the movie, and of course the classic one is, you know, he pulls a knife, you pull a gun. But did you guys check catch the one, um, do you carry a badge? Carry a gun. I don't remember. He had a lot of lot of one-liners. Yeah. He really did. There's a, I think there's a lot of classic quotes from this movie overall, but I mean, the one everybody knows is they pull a knife, you pull a gun one, but yeah, I think there's, I think it's only from Sean Connery's character, very quotable. Yeah. But I don't remember the quote you're necessarily uh, referencing. So they're about to go. Um, they just got word as to where the uh, one of the beer holdouts is at, and it's at the U.S. Postal Office. And so okay. they're looking for another guy to come with them, and they they run into Oscar Wallace. Uh, 
you know, the, the, the atypical mousy looking, um, bean counting accountant. And, uh, Sean Connery looks at him and says, do you have a, you know, you have a carry a badge? And he's like, yeah. And then he says, carry a gun. And then they, he has him a shotgun and they take off. Yeah, it was kind of funny handing that little guy a shotgun. It's just like I expected him to almost drop it in fear. Like, he's so mousy. It's just like, I don't know if that's the guy you want really covering you with a gun. Yeah. They could have I mean, next level Dick Tracy, which, they, you know, Hollywood did three years later with Warren Beatty, and just had, had that little guy shoot a gun bigger than himself and then just blow himself off his own, you know, feet. <laughs> that that, that would have been entertaining. I would have enjoyed it, but uh, or like, maybe like a cartoon, give him like the give him like yeah. the uh, to Thompson machine gun with the with the big you know uh, like barrel uh, magazine on it, and I'm start shooting it. It just moves him around. <laughs> 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 loses his shoes, loses his hat. <laughs> like one of those. Kills like one of those old of football games. Yeah, like, it was like one of those old uh, electronic you know, football games where you put the guys on, you, you turn it on, and it like, vibrates, and all the guys are just like moving around. Like, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, the goriest part of the movie uh, was obviously Sean Connery's death, but it was also something Connery did. We, we, we saw him, ex- saw, we see Sean Connery execute a dead man. And uh, which was funny. most excellent. That might have been my favorite scene in the whole show. <laughs> yeah, very clever, but uh, uh, it, was, it was a very horror movie. Um, I think uh, Elliot Ness needed to be there to kind of rein him in because uh, he was kind of like as hardcore as Capone was. And oddly enough, when Capone and uh, Sean Connery's character are in the same room, it's Sean Connery that's holding Kevin Costner back, not like this. But right. really because he's got like, you know, Capone's got twelve fucking guns on him. So Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what's significant about today's date, guys? What is significant about today's date? It is the seventy seventh anniversary of the death of Al Capone. Oh really? January twenty fifth, nineteen forty seven, Capone dies of complications to a stroke and pneumonia, which are of course adjacent to the booty cooties eating his brain. Well, all right, look at that. In his last days, Capone was seen uh, fishing in his swimming pool in Florida. <laughs> uh, so is there any other any other items or, or uh, things of note for this movie before we uh, segue into our wonderful death clock? All right, I want you to name one movie that you can ruin by replacing the lead with Kevin Costner. Go. Dun, dun, dun. Star Wars Han Solo. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, you know hey, what? Oh, hey, I, I think he could have done an okay job, not a good job, an okay job. Go ahead. Hey, since we since you mentioned it, did you know that Elliot Ness was originally going to be played by Harrison Ford? Get the fuck out of here! Yeah, I was going to say originally he was going to play it, but then he declined, and then after him that went to Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke declined. Thank God. Crap. I, I just had my notes. Hold on. Let me go back to my notes here. Mickey Rourke did not age well, kids. No, he did not. Um, ah, damn it, it's wrong one. But I, I don't think he takes real good care of himself. His doctors do. They just pull his face tighter. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was, it was, okay, so, yeah, I just had it. Okay, so Harrison Ford turned down the role, then Mickey Rourke, then Mel Gibson, then Jack Nicholson, then Michael Douglas were all considered to play Elliot Ness. And oh my God, can you can you imagine Jack Nicholson and Sean Connery in the same film together? <laughs> I would love to see that, but not in that movie. Oh my God, that'd be so awesome. What what are you gonna do, Ness? Well, I'm gonna go ahead and just kill him. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna that say that's a pretty good impression. <laughs> they would have gotten along too well. They would have just yeah. ended up taking over Chicago. <laughs> it just—it just been them walking in him, him going to get in Sean Connery, like we're gonna go take care of this, walking over. They just shoot him in the head. And they're like, movie over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say the, the 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 movie that would really really be terrible having Kevin Costner in it would be the 1988 Batman as the Joker. Oh yeah, yeah, that would would totally wreck that movie. But let's face it, you put anybody in that Joker role and it's going to wreck that movie and it's not Jack Nicholson. Kevin Costner as John Rambo. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there would have only been one movie. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, that'd be a bad one yeah. too. For sure. But uh I'll I'll always remember Kevin Costner as uh Better Call Saul with um Oh my god, help me out, Matt. I'm getting old. Who's the star? Well, you're, in the, you're in the right place then. <laughs> Who's the star of Better Call Saul? Uh Bob Odenkirk? Yes. Bob Odenkirk's character um Jimmy McGill, aka Saul Goodman, uh very famously in Breaking Bad claims to have convinced the woman once that he was Kevin Costner, and then when you see the sequel slash prequel series, Better Call Saul, you actually get to see that interaction in Chicago of all places, um, where he, he convinces a drunken gal at the bar that he's Kevin Costner and that his friend is uh, his agent. <laughs> so, that's, all right, uh, so that's a good one. If we're going down this rabbit hole, then let's all say, you know, what Kevin Costner would ruin. Now let's say, if you're going to recommend one Kevin Costner movie, what are you going to pick? Like, this is the definitive, if you want to watch Kevin Costner, this is the movie you should watch. Not Robin Hood. Really? <laughs> Not Robin Hood, no. Um I don't know. It's not going to be Waterworld either. Uh, and, and you don't watch Waterworld for Kevin Costner. You watch it for the Hopper. Dennis yeah. Hopper. Dennis Hopper for sure. Yes. You know, I'm, I, I'm going to, I'm kind of torn. I'm, I'm between Dances with Wolves and Field of Dreams. I'm going Dances with Wolves. I, I am. I'm, that's, I was going to be lazy and do that. Uh, give me one second. I haven't watched it yet, but I heard it's one of his better movies, and I think it might be Brian De Palma. I have to look it up. One moment. Well, uh, while you're looking that up, I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say, Field of Dreams. I, I really enjoyed that movie. A close second for me would be Open Range, as I mentioned earlier. <laughs> Shit, I had, I had it like literally within uh, my grasp, and I don't, I don't see it there. I might have put it in another stack of movies that I thought I was going to get around to watching. Is it Superman: The Man of Steel? No, that is not a Brian De Palma film. One second, <laughs> so I'm gonna. Uh, I'll have editing. I still can't see him as Paul Kent. That was just. Yeah, that was a little weird. I have a Kevin Costner story. It's actually a positive one. Well, I just, I didn't want everybody thinking I was hacking on this guy. Because <laughs> I do enjoy him in a certain amount of movies, but it's about every fifth one. It's not Malibu Hot Summer. Let me tell you that. Uh, he was oh, a big I show? Just thought... I'm sorry, what's that? Uh, I didn't know. Costner. I want to change my vote. Good <laughs> show. Uh, amazing stories. He was pretty great in that. Build them. Oh, okay. It's revenge. Um, so I've heard a lot of good things about. I'm sorry, it's not a De Palma film. It's Tony Scott. Um, the late great Tony Scott did a movie called Revenge that starred Kevin Costner, and uh, I thought Tarantino had something to do with it, but apparently not. I think he's just one of the movies he likes. Uh, Madeline Stowe's also in it. And somebody that was actually Anthony Quinn. The movie he did just before Dances of the Wolves. Okay. Yeah. So Revenge, 1990. Uh, I need to watch it, uh, but um, I heard it's good. Or is that the wrong one? I'm going to go with uh, Amazing Stories, where he played the captain. Um, it was a uh, World War II pilot episode of, uh, not a pilot episode, they were trying to go to series. Kevin Costner plays a pilot in Amazing Stories, and uh, their gunner underneath the plane runs into, you know, some trouble where he gets stuck down there, and their landing gear is not going to come out. Uh, it's an amazing episode of Amazing Stories. You can watch that on Apple TV, I think, uh, because that's who owns the new Amazing Stories that came out, which I couldn't even bring myself to watch more than one episode. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, Tim, you wanna you wanna wrap us, take us home. Tim, uh, why again, why didn't you why didn't you say three thousand miles to Graceland? 
I thought that was your favorite Kevin Costner. I thought you were going to say it. I <laughs> thought that's where you <laughs> that, were going to go. That's Brent. I, that's, you I know, think maybe it's Brent who likes yeah, that movie. Brent loves that movie. I mean, honestly, it, it's going it, to, it's, it, it's really going to go, yeah, probably open range. I still am a huge fan of The Postman. That would probably be my other one I would recommend. So, like that, you know, I, like, if I was going to go through his stuff, it, it, it's very easy. Silverado. And then I'm going to skip several of them because I don't really like them. And then I'm going to go to Dance with the Wolves. I liked Robin Hood, actually. I think it's one of the better <laughs> ones, you know. Uh, uh, so I'm going to say that, that one. And The Bodyguard was pretty good. And then I'm going to go to Waterworld. And then after that one, I'm going to The Postman. And then I'm going to go to, uh, let's see, Open Range. And then after that, we are talking three days to a kill. And that may be where I end with my recommendation for any of his movies. Yep, pretty much. Have either of you guys seen the movie Criminal? And in it, does Kevin Costner's character get to bang Gal Gadot? Uh, no, That's I have such not. a very weird and specific question, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I care about that movie is, do we get to see more Gal Gadot? Um, <sighs> Gal Gadot. She's, a, she's, she's a, quite a gal. Um, yeah, Kevin Costner, um, overrated, uh, apparently a nice guy in real life. Um, allegedly a, a cousin of mine met him at a party and he asked him what his job was and he said, I'm a police officer and he thanked him for his service. So, um, yeah, it sounds go. like he's a nice, he's a nice gentleman. Uh, I, I would love to marry Kevin Costner and have one of his babies so I could divorce him and then get paid <laughs> a lot of money every month. To take care All of right. his child. So Joey loves him. Gold digger. All right. Got it. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, if you hadn't heard our first episode, we have what we call the death clock. Tim, you want to go ahead and tell us, is this movie worth taking time off your death clock to watch? For me, I'm going to say if you haven't gotten a better recommendation from one of our other podcasts, or you're too lazy to go look at the book yourself, or it's the only thing you got sitting in a DVD player, and you're stuck in your chair, uh, probably not worth your time. I, I'd say it's a pass. There's so many better, you know, gangster movies out there now. It's not a horrible movie. It's just not a good movie. So it's if you got two hours that you don't know what to do with, yeah, go ahead and watch it. But uh, when you get to the end of it, I think you're going to be like, yeah, one and done. Never going to watch it again. So. There you go. How about you, Joe? Time off your death clock? Yeah, it's only two hours. It's actually an hour and 59 minutes with with credits. So it, it's not a hard watch. It, it goes by fast. Is it historically accurate? Hell no. It's the Hollywoodization, uh, the, the, the cowboy movie version of uh, Prohibition Chicago. And it, it, it's just fantasy. Uh, are there better gangster movies? Yeah, there's some. But um, this one's a De Palma film. Uh, if you like De Palma, you'll like this. Uh, you'll, you'll, I counted the, the diopter shots. I only caught two of them. Uh, that's where he famously has the, uh, the split lens where you have something in the foreground that's in, in focus and, and something in the background that's also in focus. De Palma does it in all his movies. Uh, he's, a, he's a creature of habit. And um, I liked it. I liked De Palma. Uh, I love Sean Connery, and I'm glad that I own it. Uh, that's my opinion. I like it. Well, I'm I'm gonna say it's it's worth taking time off your death clock. I I enjoyed the full hour and fifty nine minutes. Um, I enjoyed the the train station sequence with the stairs. Um, I like I like the fact that you know Sean Connery has like this fantastic supporting role. Um, I thought. The story itself is purely fictional, but it's it's a fun watch. You know, it's to turn your turn your brain off, eat your popcorn, and enjoy and just enjoy the movie. Um, a lot of really cool, neat uh, angle shots. A lot of neat establishing shots of Chicago. Uh, the one thing I didn't mention that I wanted to, but uh, I totally forgot about it just now, is that we don't see any trains. Um, you know, Chicago's biggest thing is they got an elevated train. You know, why couldn't we see that? And as Joey had mentioned, you know. Wouldn't it cost? It would cost too much. 
So, but uh, yeah, as far as as far as your death clock, I would say it's, it's worth watching it just to take off two hours. All right. Well, I guess with that said, we should uh, segment very quickly into what's everybody watching this week that's outside of this movie. I, I Has anybody watched anything new from the last time? Oh, okay. Go ahead. Since since I got to go last last time, and I totally got lost. <laughs> um, I've actually been watching uh, uh the series on Netflix called uh, Shadow and Bone. It's uh it's it's a fantasy series set in kind of like a a steampunky environment where this 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 giant uh cloud is separating the, this one continent and there's like this, this huge war that's been going on for like a hundred years. Um, it's a neat little fantasy story. And one of the undertones is that there's a society of people that are kind of like um, Marvel's mutants that have these special powers, and they've been oppressed. And the main bad guy is the one that put this giant black wall of mist up that divides the country. So it's a very intricately um, thought-out story, and I recommend it to anyone that likes fantasy or steampunk or Marvel's X-Men. All right, Joey, what are you watching? I've been watching a lot of Shudder this week. Uh, I caught up on some films because my uh, subscription's going to run out. I finally saw Frankenhooker, and I got to say, um, the best thing about that was the box in the store where it lit up and you press it and it says, want a day? Um, so that's uh, that, that didn't live up to the hype. Uh, other than that, I've been watching a lot of Just Joe Bob. Uh, they lose. That's the part of the problem with streaming services is that they lose rights to something. And when Joe Bob hosts a movie, people's like, "Well, you own all the Joe Bob stuff about it. Can we can I just watch the Joe Bob parts, even though you can't, you know, have the movie in perpetuity?" And that's what they put on their service. And I've been watching a lot of just Joe Bob Briggs going on tangents and entertaining the whole leaf out of me. Shutter, Joe Bob. Thank you. From one Joe Bob to another, I've been entertained. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, I went back, dug back into the archives, and pulled out a classic. It's a, it feels like an 80s B-film. It's actually a, a 90, like right on the mark 1990s B-film. I watched Class of 1999. That was my my big showstopper this week. And it is everything you could hope for in the early 80s video store. B movie rack, awesome color or awesome cover, you know, pull you in, make you watch the movie kind of thing. So, uh, I highly recommend it. I think you can find it out on YouTube if you go look for it out there. Uh, it's probably, uh, viewable there if, uh, if you find it. Uh, it is a story about the basically, uh, America falling apart and the schools, uh, become unruly in the cities and they become free fire zones where the police won't go. And the Department of Education is now trying to reinstate authority in the schools and teach children yet once again. And they do this by bringing in military cyborgs to become teachers. And you can uh, pretty much at that point figure out what's going to happen. Things are going to go off the rails. There's going to be a lot of shooting. Not as much blood as the Untouchables, but a lot of good shooting, a lot of bad effects. It does have Malcolm McDowell in it, which, you know, so there's your your one big actor. Bradley Gregg is in it as well. And uh, there's a uh, one of the lead actresses is Tracy Lynn, who quit uh, quit uh, basically acting, uh, I think, about 10 years later. But she's cute as a button in this one. So well worth your time to watch, I think, if you enjoy classic B-movies. Just to let our listeners know, if you want to check it out, you can see it on Tubi for free. That is T-U-B-I.com. Well, there you go. Not a sponsor of this, this podcast. All right. And I think, everybody, that concludes our evening this evening. So thanks for listening to Middle Age Movie Reviews Podcast. At least Matt and Joey hope that you enjoy the movie. <laughs> I still will recommend that you go watch 1999 instead. <laughs> Check out more of our stuff on Facebook at MAM Reviews. That's Middle Age Movie Reviews as well as episode posts and news on X, formerly known as Twitter. Good night and go get canned, or something witty. Please not go after <laughs> yourself, San Diego.
Hey, thanks for listening. We are giving away a digital code for The Untouchables. If you're the first one to email us at mamreviewpodcast at gmail.com. That's M as in Mary, A as in Apple, M as in Mary, review, singular, podcast at gmail.com. Then this digital code for The Untouchables is yours. You're the man now, dog.